welcome to the Spirit Guide Society podcast. My name is Pedro Shanahan, and I'm your spirit guide. On today's podcast, we were talking about Whistle Pig with Blaine Adams at the Seven Grand Whiskey Society. This is the second time that we had Whistle Pig in the Whiskey Society, and the first time we had Whistle Pig in the Whiskey Society, we were really excited. We edited the podcast, everyone loved it. And the day we released it, we got news that Dave Pickerel, the founder of Whistlepig, had unfortunately passed away. So we went silent that day, and Pedro's going to tell you a little bit more about that. And there's going to be a lot of talk about Dave Pickerel, because anyone who knows anything about the American whiskey industry, they will know that Dave Pickerel is not only beloved, but responsible for some of your favorite whiskeys and your friend's favorite whiskeys and your dad's favorite whiskeys. He was incredibly prolific and we were very lucky to get to talk about him. But we also know that you came to hear about the whiskey, which is why I'm about to tell you that we drank the Whistlepig 10 year, the 15 year, the Old World Cask Finish, and the fifth edition of the Boss Hog. Always remember to enjoy this podcast responsibly. That means make sure to keep a little bit of cash on you at all times, because you never know when you're going to need to give someone a tip. Oh, yeah. All right. That was a good one. Wow. Wow. <laughs> wow. Nice way to start off the work week. How are you guys doing? It's Monday night. We're a Whiskey Society. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, thanks for coming out tonight to Seven Grand. Uh, we are, it's kind of a, it's a bittersweet occasion. It is. I have to say, um, we're, we're here to taste some whistle pig tonight. And the last time whistle pig was in the house was when we were going to launch the podcast. And the day that we were set to launch the podcast, Dave Pickerel himself, one of the founders of this whiskey, the maverick of craft distilling, like the guardian angel oh, yeah. of craft distilling in America. And, uh, he unfortunately passed away in San Francisco. That was yeah. November 1st of 2018. Uh, it was a very sad occasion, that not only for us here at Seven Grand, but all across the country, because in the American craft distilling world, Dave had his hand in a lot of pots. He was like the number one consultant. It, it's, it's amazing. When you look at the back bar in the front room here, it's so many brands were created by Dave, or at least consulted by Dave, like Maker's Mark, which, you know, seven grand, like, check out our, our front windows up there. We've got a lot of bottles of Maker's Mark around, you know, like, <laughs> um, this is a house that was partially built just on Maker's Mark. Whiskey for the people, that very idea comes, in my opinion, at least here at seven grand, comes from Maker's Mark, meaning world-class, utterly sippable whiskey that's affordable for everyone. That's kind of like the most important thing in, in, in a certain way. In my mind, I mean, I'm trying to get whiskey out there for everybody. I don't believe in trying to upsell people on crazy, expensive whiskey. And I don't think Dave did either. In fact, I think Dave, one of his life missions was to get whiskey out to everyone and, and to turn people on and kind of spread the love of whiskey in America. Like he saw all these Scotch brands coming over and selling their stuff and getting such high bottle prices. And I think he was a champion who really wanted to show people that America makes the best whiskey in the world. And one of the reasons it's the best whiskey in the world is bang for the buck, meaning at that price, it is definitely the best whiskey in the world. I really believe that in my blood. And I think that was Dave's life mission, you know? Oh, yeah. And like, 
And he died doing that. He was like at a spirits event when he passed. Yeah, he was like, literally getting ready to present at a like a whiskey show in San Fran. But we have Mr. Blaine Adams in the house tonight from Whistle Pig, the new brand ambassador. Yes. Yes, yes freshly minted. <laughs> um, well, welcome, Blaine. Thank and you. so uh, let's talk a little bit about Dave. Uh, someone yeah. who was born in the Midwest. His dad was a, a postmaster, Not didn't grow up rich. No. Uh, he was kind of that classic rags to riches kind of story. I mean, um, we kind of talk about, I knew Dave for about five years. I had the pleasure to drink whiskey with him, smoke cigars with him, you know, a bunch of debauchery with him. Um, but we kind of talk about the many lives of Dave because like there's one of those people that you hear about or he made Maker's Mark and they did Whistle Pig and then, you know, he's done Blackened and you kind of see him showing up a, a lot, especially with his loss. Like, you know, it definitely didn't just resonate with our brand, but the whiskey uh, community as a whole. And he had many lives and it's, Dave was always known, if you ever met Dave, uh, he was one of the most joyful, exuberant, like just fun people you've ever met. Like you could sit down next to a bar stool with him and it'd be time to close the bar down by the time he left. Cause the man had so many stories and that's because of the lives he lived. He started kind of that rags to riches Midwest life. And you know, he really learned kind of the, the value of hard work. And then he ended up joining the military, which not a lot of people right, knew. He went to West Point Academy and that's where he's studied organic chemistry was yep. at West Point. He learned how to distill at West Point Academy. He was in the army. You know, if you know most kids, most rich kids don't go in the army. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but and, you know, and the fact that he got into West Point was a testament to like his quality of character and it's not easy to get in there. And then when he was there, he uh, got to the point where you know, he was studied organic chemistry, but wasn't really sure what he wanted to do. And one of the teachers that had like taught him said, you should come back and help teach. And he was like, nah, nah, nah. And so they finally got him back. And then as he started teaching, he got really good at organic chemistry. And um, he ended, ended up meeting somebody that was in the distilling world. And they said, you should come distill some whiskey. And he's like, ah, I don't want to become a distiller. And they're like, no, no, you should. So after enough pestering, he finally kind of got into business. Then it started working at Maker's Mark. And he always said it was the, the biggest break he never deserved because they made him master distiller, kind of a, a young nobody. And he learned a lot of his um, kind of beginnings of whiskey from Maker's Mark. And as American bourbon and the rise of American whiskey grew and the craft distilling movement uh, just kind of grew around him and Maker's Mark, which could be credited with a lot of the bourbons you see on the shelf today in terms sure. of the market. The world's most famous weeded bourbon. And that was one yep. of the things that Dave did is he brought weeded bourbon to the people in, in Moss, like oh. changed the perception of bourbon in America. Yeah. Um, and he, he started there in 94. He worked mm -hmm. at Maker's Mark for 14 years. He built the Maker's Mark brand for all intents and purposes as, as the, their master distiller. Yeah, and to kind of piggyback of earlier, you know, when it came to drinking whiskey, one of Dave's favorite stories uh, that he would tell, and it kind of transcended all the brands he worked on, um, uh, he was giving a tour of the Maker's Mark distillery, and someone asked him, like, what's your favorite way to drink Maker's Mark? And he goes, neat, the way I make it. And um, everybody was just kind of like, oh, okay. And then the owner who happened to be on the tour with him pulled him aside after and goes, hey, Dave, don't ever tell anybody how to drink whiskey. 
And that really stuck with him. So Dave kind of used that as a mantra going on. And Dave was a big proponent. And uh, I'm going to use a bad word here in a second. But uh, one of the favorite things that ever happened to me and Dave was uh, we were sitting down. This is right before uh, this is the third Boss Hog had just launched. And I was one of the first people to try it. And Dave, you know, we're sitting there talking. He just looks at me and goes, I want you to enjoy this fucking whiskey. <laughs> you know? And that's how he was. He was, if you ever got to meet him or see him around, he was that guy that always had a secret bottle pocket a some little product he was working on he wanted to pour you he wanted to share he was for all intents and purposes Johnny Appleseed you know when he at the time of his death it was over a hundred different brands he was working on um, and kind of circling back to Whistlepig Whistlepig was kind of his baby you know he worked at Maker's Mark for you know since 94 then around 2006 to 2008 he started thinking about what's next you know, because every person that, you know, kind of achieves some success in life, they're not really happy of just staying in one spot, one lane. So he started to kind of pay attention to the market. And Dave, you know, being that Midwest boy, uh, always had a small little chip on his shoulder. Like he really respected the Scotch distillers of the world, but he really wanted to prove that America could make whiskey just as good, if not better than the Scotch. So he kind of looked at the market in that, you know, mid 2000s, um, scotch makers were making really kind of unique, different um, whiskeys. And he was like, well, what's next for America? So he saw the trend of bourbon hot. And then Dave loved being in bars. He loved people. He loved being around them. So he started to go into bars and he saw the rise of craft cocktails. And that's when Dave saw people starting to use rye. But he realized that the ryes available to them were not like the ryes back in the day. Around the same time, Dave got to go work at the uh, Mount Vernon uh, George Washington Distillery, uh, which that goal when that was first founded was to bring back that early American whiskey, because before um, Prohibition, rye was the whiskey that people made. And actually, George Washington made rye whiskey because uh, he wanted all of his soldiers to stop drinking rum. Uh, which was yeah. like the British thing. A lot of people think that the American Revolution was fought because of the Tea Party or this. No, it was fought because of rum. You were getting taxed on your sugar. You were then getting taxed on your whiskey and you're getting, or getting taxed on your rum. So you're getting taxed on everything. So these people were, got fed up because they couldn't drink. <laughs> so they got grumpy. Um, and so George Washington didn't want his soldiers drinking rum because that was seen as the English thing. So he started distilling rye whiskey. Um, and he also so, bought out a lot of the distillers Time. At the time of the American Revolution, a lot of folks don't know this, but George Washington was the largest owner of rye whiskey distilleries in America. This country was built on rye whiskey. Yeah. It paid for our independence. Quite literally, that commerce paid for the uniforms for the revolutionary uh, soldiers, yep. you know? And then as people kind of got the taste for it, they started distilling and they started moving west. And we even fought a war about whiskey in this country. So it's in our blood. Um, and then, so Dave worked on that project. Step over this way, oh, Blaine. You're getting like no this problem. shadow right in the middle oh of your face. Oh my goodness. Well, it's the dark side of me. Um, <laughs> but uh, I'm so emo. Uh, but Dave uh, got to work on that project and kind of bring back George Washington's whiskey. And uh, he'd be the first to tell you that they made a lot of mistakes. Uh, my big kind of favorite story from that period of Dave's life is while they were trying to figure out how to make this recipe of rye, um, unlike bourbon, like corn and the mash bills used to make, thank you, um, um, bourbon are not too temperamental. Like they break down and they, they uh, turn into um, the alcohol needed for whiskey pretty easily. Rye on the other hand is very stubborn. And if you miss a temperature here or there, it'll start to foam. 
because rye is a very hardy grain. It grows really well up in like the, the Northeast, like New York and kind of where the revolution was fought. So it was plentiful. Um, but the, the husk of rye is very, um, it's tough. So it's hard to break that down and then get to the sugars, which is the yeast, yeast eat to make alcohol. Um, so one day they left it on, uh, Dave and the other people working on this project, left uh, the still going and they were waiting for the mash to heat up, came back the next morning and he said it was the best foam party that anybody's ever seen because they had got the temperature wrong and it just started foaming. So they walked in and it took them about three days to clean up all that foam. It filled he, the room and it, oh. I'm sure it smelled great. Oh, it probably smelled like cereal and oatmeal. Probably great. Um, but Dave learned a lot of lessons and he really kind of acquired a taste for rye at that point. Um, and then around 2008, uh, he started to get ready to leave Makers. So he started touring around uh, and tasting whiskeys and trying to find people that were distilling rye. Um, not a lot of people were doing it because it was hard to make. So he ended up in Canada because the Canadians kind of adopted rye whiskey making after Prohibition. Uh, a lot of the distilleries up there, and it kind of became a Canadian tradition. Um, but that said, there aren't that many well-known Canadian ryes, or there weren't at the time. And so Dave ended up at a distillery in Alberta, Canada, and he uh, tasted some barrels and found this lot of whiskey. And he had it, and he looked at the guy that distilled it and goes, I don't have any money, but I'm gonna shake your hand I'm going to trust that you won't sell this whiskey to anybody else, and I'll be back within the year to buy it from you. And so I said, okay. And so Dave leaves, and then that brings us to kind of the other half, how Whistlepig came around. Uh, one of our other founders was one of those gentlemen who liked to take walks, and he believed in signs. Uh, he was a very... Um, ethereal person, uh, like big vision, if you will. And he was living in Colorado um, uh, right before the Dave found this whiskey. And he was taking a walk and clearing his head, trying to figure out what's the next thing for him to do in life. And so as he's walking along, this guy, like uh, with a French accent uh, on a BMX bike, comes just barreling down this hill and like pulls this like stop in front of him and goes, could it be? And like uh, our owner looked at him and goes, what are you talking about? And he's like, could it be? Is that a, is that a whistle pig? And uh, he was like, I don't know. And he goes, huh. He got his bike, rides away, never to be heard from again. So him taking that as a sign, he then went, bought a farm in Vermont and named it Whistle Pig Farm. Then through the powers of serendipity, he met Dave. And Dave told him about this whiskey that he had found in Canada. And so... He brought some down, they tasted it, they shook hands, he wrote the check, and he's like, what are you gonna call this whiskey? And Dave goes, well, we're on Whistlepig Farm, so you might as well call it Whistlepig Whiskey. And that gave birth to the Whistlepig Tenure, which we all have on our hands right now. Um, this is our flagship. This is kind of Dave's original vision for the company. This is something we're very proud of. When it first was released um, in 2010, which is our first bottling, uh, it got 96 points on Wine Enthusiast. It's 100% rye, that old world rye uh, style that Dave was a champion of. So a lot of ryes you'll see on the market, um, new, old, around, they aren't 100% rye. They will put some corn or barley or other things in. But Dave really believe, believed in this Pennsylvania or Mongonook style rye that George Washington made. So that gave birth to the tenure. Uh, we age it fully um, in um, 
barrels, and then we finish it for about six months to a year in ex-bourbon barrels, uh, which really kind of softens some of the edges, because Dave's big thing is he wanted a whiskey that bartenders could use, that you could drink neat, that you could have on an ice cube. He really wanted to be this utilitarian whiskey, but also, you know, it is just as much uh, at home in a high-end situation as it is you and your friends by a campfire, so. Amazing stuff. So. Let's stick our nose in this glass, breathe in gently through your mouth. So this would have been whiskey that Dave picked yep. that you guys bought from yes. up in Canada. So we're still, um, we as a company, we've never, uh, we'll never lie about where whiskey comes from. So this is from Alberta, Canada. It still comes from Alberta, Canada. We actually, um, this is, a legend of sorts. What I've been told is the people that, uh, the, Matt, the gentleman who owns the Alberta Ride Silly kind of told Dave that he was the only one getting this whiskey, but he also went to a couple other brands and gave them some of the whiskey, and then he hedged his bets to see which company did the best, um, and we came out victors. So we have a majority share, and we're getting you know basically all of this tenure from Alberta. We bring it down to Vermont. We have a 500-acre farm uh, in northern Vermont, right on the border, um, and we finish aging it there on our farm. Wow. Um, it's it's definitely grassroots. Every bottle of Whistle Pig uh, is still hand labeled uh, by six ladies that work on the farm diligently. And when it snows and we have a winter like we did this year, production gets a little backed up and we uh, have to pull double time. So, um, but yeah, this is, you know, Dave's vision for the company, Dave's vision for rye. This is what his testament was. Um, so what are you guys getting on this 10 year old rye from up in Alberta? I think it's really fruity to me. I'm getting like, uh, Apple and pear and maybe even peach and orange in here. Beets. Root vegetables. So I do get like a little kind of cardamom vibe on it. Yeah. What else you guys getting? Caramel. Yeah, yeah, of course. And that's one of the things is that rye is a little different than corn whiskey. Mm -hmm. it, it stands up to time in the barrel in a different yep. way. It maintains its identity for longer and also extracts a lot of barrel action. Mm -hmm. I don't know the chemistry of it, but... It, so, I know that it, young ryes tend to pull a lot of effect from the barrel more quickly than, say, a corn whiskey would. It's just more like acidic in the barrel. I don't yeah, actually know well, the, the, the flavors of rye, especially like a rye mash, like after you taste it right off the still. Um, like I was blessed enough to actually taste whiskey that Dave made right off the still, at like 120 some odd proof. And it was like very floral. It was almost like lavender. Um, it was also very hot and evaporated. And, you know, it was definitely whiskey. Um, <laughs> But yeah, Dave and um, you know would definitely believe that rye could, since it was a heartier grain and it was a bolder flavor. Like uh, the best way he kind of described it is, if you went and had a bourbon, uh, that's like having a nice piece of white bread or toast. You're having a good time with it. But if you go and have a good rye whiskey, it's like a good rye bread. You know, if you put a Reuben on a piece of white bread, it's not going to be as impressive. Um, so, you know, there was, there's a time and a place and, you know, there definitely is a use for rye and when you, uh, hit it, you really hit it. And that's what Dave's goal with this was. Um, what are you guys getting as you tap this over your tongue here? So nose to tongue, and it could be very different. You know, just because you smell something doesn't mean it'll strike you the same way on your tongue. Not at all. It's, often whiskeys will do kind of a dance where they'll smell like one thing and taste like something else. So tell me about your experience. No wrong answers. Pepper? Yeah. Oh, we should be toasting Dave as well. Oh, yes. Uh, so uh, here's to Dave. Dave. And here's uh, to you a dram for the man. Mr. Dave Pickerel, rest in peace, sir. Power suggestion's heavy. I'm getting a lot of that... Uh, that like pickle brine kind of vibe right now. Mm. That's really brilliant whiskey though. It's, 
It's uh, earthy, but really has a great floral and, and fruity dance to it. You get that orange definitely shining through, vanilla, maple. Some chocolate on the finish. That bitter cacao for sure. Beautiful. Uh, pepper. So if oh. I was going to buy a bottle from my home bar of the basic 10-year straight rye, how much is that? So 10-year retail, you're generally going to find it anywhere, uh, anywhere from 60 is the lowest I've probably ever seen it. And I've seen it as high as around 70, 75. And there are some places like a BevMo or a Vendome or people around that uh, have cast strength. So this is 100 proof, um, which Dave was very proud that even though this is 100 proof, some of you might have had other 100 proof whiskeys, this does not drink like 100 proof. And that's because when we finish it in those bourbon barrels, we make sure to pull the tannins out of the wood. So we actually air dry them, which if you like looked at the ground underneath it, you would see just like black soot and stuff, which really gives this whiskey that rounder, softer approachability. It's actually um, not soot, it's the tannins dance, dropping, yeah. which is the same method that they use at Maker's Mark. So that was one thing that Dave brought with him is that knowledge of seasoning wood. Mm -hmm. If you let the wood that you make your barrels sit outside for like a year, a lot of those tannins will drop out because the sun and the weather will sweeten the wood basically over time, take away mm -hmm. some of those bitter elements, but you'll see it on the ground. It actually looks like black dust. So that's, that's what he carried from yep. Maker's Mark and, and brought. And it, you know, you it definitely here. shows. And when he first finished the 10 year, he put them in unmarked bottles and he went around uh, New York and Vermont and gave it to bartenders and said, taste this, tell me what proof you think it is. Mm -hmm. And not a single person thought it was 100 proof. I think the highest he ever got was a 92 proof. So he was very proud of that and he was very uh, on the market uh, for that, that route. Amazing whiskey that Dave found, okay? He scouted this. Didn't make it, but he knew enough about whiskey that he when he knew that when he found this stuff that yeah. I need to buy this right now, mm -hmm. set it aside, I'll figure out how to do yeah. it later. Um, yeah, which was, again, a maverick maneuver, oh, which really? is one of the things like Dave is like this protector of this ethos of what American whiskey was. And we have a little bit of that in the American character that kind of I'll figure it out as I go along kind oh, of thing. Yeah. And that was something that Dave brought to it, you yeah, know? Never, never let a good business opportunity pass you by. Um, <laughs> The, this is, uh, Dave uh, told me this by a fire one night. He kind of, as we go through the line, I'll tell you each description he had for each whiskey. Uh, but Dave was a, ro a romantic at heart. Uh, he described this whiskey especially as the girl next door. This is as you're coming into your own, as you're figuring out life, you look out that window and you see this beautiful girl and you know she might not have a million dollars or have this crazy backstory and she grew up right next to you, but she'll always be there. She'll take care of you and she knows where you came from. And that's kind of how he felt the tenure was. It was that girl next door that you could always rely on. Um, and he had different descriptions for the other two, which we'll get to in a moment. Um, <laughs> well, just Dave was a family man, though. He, yes. was, he was married. Yeah, he yes. had four kids. Yes. And from what I've heard, he's a great, a great father. Oh, he's a wonderful father. Like, yeah, his all of his children came to his funeral. You know, the none of them really wanted to get into whiskey making. He tried. Uh, he had one daughter that was close, but she didn't pass. But uh, you know, he was romantic. He liked his poetry. He loved music. Uh, and he loved dance. One of my favorite stories about Dave, uh, up at our farm. Uh, so we eventually, um, and we'll get to it in a little bit, uh, put our own still in. We are just in our own whiskey now. But on our farm, there was an old dairy barn to the point where nobody was near to was supposed to go near it because it's like a uh, like an over 300 year old dairy barn. And so it was like basically should have been condemned. And we redid it. 
It's now our distillery. Uh, and above it, we put like an attic in. And I was up there one night with Dave and a few others, and they put on some music. And of course, you have to have a disco ball in the attic. And Dave and I danced to disco till about 1.30 in the morning in a drunken stupor and it was phenomenal is my favorite memory of the man because uh when we launched the black prince uh one of our boss hog series he loved to wear this white suit with it the boss hog suit as we called it uh and so it was so hot in that attic by the time we were done we we're like those liquor sweats were happening and it was just sure like basically i was in an undershirt he was just in one shirt and we're just we're just having fun and i mean and that's really who he was as a person like he just loved to have fun and whiskey was his way to get people to have fun with him. So what we have in our hands now though, is the 12 year. So after the 10 year hit was a success, uh, we were very proud of it. Uh, Dave went on what we called the big barrel roundup. Uh, so around this time in the whiskey world, and Dave, as we kind of know, was always keeping his ear to the ground what was happening, a lot of scotches, uh, you know, 2011 to 2014, were winning a ton of awards, and they were uh, like the Glen Morangies and stuff for these special barrel finishes. These Scotch companies were going out and finding, you know, Madeira and stuff that people had never heard of before, especially in the states, and doing scotches finished in these barrels. And Dave goes, "Oh, that's that's really interesting." So he went over to Europe and he bought basically every barrel he could find of any sort, like. Armagnac, Madeira, Port, Sauterne, um, Sherry, uh, probably more that I don't know. Uh, he bought some rum barrels and he started playing with finishes on this, this rye that we had. And uh, he was happy with some of the results, not as happy with other of the results. Um, and so uh, as he started to experiment more and more, he realized that some of the rye was, since being a hundred proof rye, was a little too hot for some of these finishes. So he actually went to MGP um, in Indiana and had them make a whiskey for him, because uh, at the time we still didn't have the ability to make our own whiskey, uh, that was 95% rye and then 5% malted barley. Because malted barley kind of has that little deeper caramel notes, a little softer, a little rounder. It's not as aggressive as rye. It's also, like, in the fermentation, it'll help with bringing different yep. enzymes. So the rye is very acidic fermentation, so if you use a little barley in there, it, just it can help that it. natural yep. fermentation out a lot. It's like that little sprinkle of salt on top of your steak at the end. Uh, and so he started playing around, finishing, and he found three that really stood out to him. And that was the Madeira finish, the Port finish, and the Sauterne finish. Uh, and we originally just released those as a special release. So if you find one of those in the wild, buy it, because they're very rare. They're also very delicious. Um, and he then spent another six months, because Dave, at this point, Dave basically had sold his house. Um, and even though he's a great father, he kind of was single at that point. So he uh, had sold his house and decided, he, since he, this is what he was doing, he just started traveling the country, kind of making big circles. Uh, he was literally a Johnny Appleseed. Didn't have a home. He just lived from hotel to hotel. So he was taking his stuff with him, these finishes, and he was going around the country. And actually, this is one of the first times I ever met Dave. And he had bartenders make their own blends. He had people say like, hey, try these. What do you think would work? And he did this for six months um, until he got close and close and close. And the romantic story is that he got home one night and he kind of was towards the end of it. He's like, if I don't get it tonight, I'm never gonna finish it. I'm just gonna let this fly to the wind. And so allegedly, because um, we love our big tall stories here at Whistle Pig, he locked the door, worked on it all night, woke up and looked at the last one he wrote down, redid it and said, Eureka, this is it. Um, 
I think that night he probably figured it out. I don't know if it was the exact last one he landed on, but what we did end up on is... Well, sometimes when you're doing all that testing, you forget what's going oh, on. That's why he wrote it down. He was smart. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so he ended up on this blend, which is 7% uh, port, 30% uh, French Sauterne, and 63 Madeira. Um, that Madeira is a hotter, bigger, bolder kind of finish, um, which definitely is the backbone of this. The port is soft and sweet and fruity, which gives the round out. And the Salterne almost gives you a little bit of like salinity and depth and roundness, a little bit more of that uh, fortifying wine finish. This became Dave's personal favorite whiskey. Um, this is one of my favorites. Um, Dave described this whiskey, to me at least, as that voluptuous redhead you see singing in a nightclub. You know, if you end up going home with her, she'll take care of you. Even if you don't, you had a great night. Um, <laughs> um, but this is, uh, you know, this when it uh, came out won Rob Report's Best Whiskey of the Year. Um, in 2015, it was gold, at, double gold at San Francisco Spirits Competition. Um, and this was kind of Dave's answer to all of those scotches that were being finished in these different barrels. But him wanting to do the American thing, instead of one finish, he did three. So at this point, I think we should probably smell it and try it. Stick your nose in that glass, guys. The Whistle Pig Old World Cask Finish Rye. What are you getting as you smell this whiskey? So for the for me, I mean, I okay, you guys, you share your opinions first, and then I'll chime in. How about that? Softer, okay, but soft is more a texture. So tell me a, about a food word what, that you're reminded of. Fruity, okay, Mick. Lemongrass, yeah, I'm getting a mintiness as well, and I'm getting a mint, a cinnamon, but then I get all those those port characteristics like raisin and even darker fruit like maybe plum. Um, as we taste this too, uh, things to keep in mind, I mean it is a little bit different mash bill than we had, and also this is lower proof. This is an 86 proof whiskey. You know, Dave really wanted this uh, to be kind of like that one you would drink neat. You didn't want, you know, you could put a cube in it, you could do whatever you want to do it, but this, when he envisioned it, was definitely like a neat kind of whiskey. Also, I'm like salivating right now. It's definitely one of those whiskeys that I get when I taste it. It just makes my palate explode. Like, this is the perfect after dinner yeah, whiskey just, for me. So, sometimes you want to think about whiskeys, like, some whiskeys are kind of like, they wake you up, like you do a shot of some young bourbon and you're like, all right, let's go out on the town, we're gonna do this. There's whiskeys that are more like conversational, like table whiskeys that we're gonna sit down, we're gonna enjoy a few glasses of that, let's really slow down. And then there are the whiskeys that are like, honey, it's time to go home, we're going to bed. Yep. And that's, what, that's what's going on here, a little, it's a sexy whiskey that you wanna lay down, you know? Yeah, this is definitely for, you know, your friends and family and people that, you know, if you go and buy a bottle, which, we have this most places. This generally retails about, I've seen it from like 100 to 120. Um, it's definitely one of our kind of more premium uh, whiskeys. Yeah. And one of the most expensive whiskeys Dave ever made. Yes. For sure. Well, we, we have a few others we'll get to in a minute on yeah. that. Um, but this is, uh, you can see different blends. We let some uh, places make their own blend. Uh, as much as Dave's blend was great, you know, if somebody wanted to add, you know, 9% port or this or that. We uh, have those out in the wild. Um, but this is definitely the one you want to give your friend that might not like rye. Like, I don't like rye whiskey. Well, we'll try this one. It's for people that like bourbon or the people that like scotch. It's definitely uh, what I call like the gateway whistle pig. As much as the 10 years our flagship, this is the one that after you've kind of had this, uh, generally, like, we got you hooked. <laughs> well, that begs the question as to how are you going to be able to sustain this without Dave's guiding hand? What is the future for Whistlepig in terms of who's going to take over 
as the kind of master consultant to kind of choose these barrels and, and keep that level of quality? So short answer is we don't know yet. And all the people working in our distillery right now, uh, from the barrel house, to the bottling line, to the distillery, um, the blending room, all of that, they've been with Dave for four plus years. We don't have anybody, it's not like Dave had a lot of turnover. People went to go work with Dave. Um, so we're definitely looking to promote from within. Uh, and we definitely as a company, like our core, the 10, the 12, the 15, they're not gonna change. We're not gonna deviate course. We're not gonna do anything. Like the beauty is Dave was a notorious note keeper. Um, he was a very structured, smart, forward thinking person. So in terms of the company, for the next two, three years, we're already kind of still on plan of terms of the stuff that Dave had his hands in, touched, right. crafted for us. Right. You and have to think like that. You have to have a long view in the whiskey yes. world. So Dave's always planning seven or eight years ahead. Yep, and the beauty is the people that to, like worked under him, they haven't fled, they haven't run to the hills, they haven't gone to other companies. They still believe very much in what we do. So I'm sure he's got more than a couple Proteges yes. that maybe it's hard to step into those shoes, but there's some people that he trained that are totally inspired. If you think about it in the in the craft distilling world, he did Maker's Mark, he did Angel's Envy, he did Bell Mead, he did Watershed, he did Garrison Brothers, Hill he Rock. did uh, Hill Rock. 291. Uh, yeah, 291 in Colorado. We, we opened up uh, Seven Grand in, in Denver recently, and our very first whiskey site up there was 291. And we were talking about Dave yeah. all night again, you know? It's like, so much whiskey has been inspired and actually yeah. educated. It was as if he went out there and, and took on these businesses that didn't know what the hell they were doing at all. They just wanted to get in the whiskey world. And Dave kept them from failing. Dave saved them from themselves, oh, yeah. you know? And being the scientist he was, I mean, he, our still at Whistle Pig is a combo uh, column pot still, which Dave was a big proponent of. And it's to the point where, you know, if you, I got to watch him one time. He's like, do you want to see a cloud? And he literally just turned on the still and made a cloud and a column still. I'm gonna button this here. Uh, it's got your pot in the bottom, then has the column up top, which has these different plates, which then allow for the whiskey to still. But you can form a cloud in it. And he made the cloud go all the way up to one window and all the way back down. And he could do that just by adjusting temperature. So the man was so scientific and understood it. So these other brands, they went from as much as he helped them with their mash bill, helped them make their whiskey. He went into other brands and saved them from their cells where they were were overly sour mashing and their whiskey was turning bitter and they couldn't figure out why to the point where he would just maybe come in and help you make a still and let you do your own he was very much you know that person that uh, wanted to see what other people would do and that's why as a company we're not like afraid and we're definitely going to miss him and we would have him back in a heartbeat if we could, but we're also very excited to see what his protégés and the people in our company are gonna do with his knowledge. And I think that's something he was excited to see eventually happen anyway. It just mm -hmm. happens at a quicker rate now, so. Yeah. Um, well, let's pass around that. Yeah, and as they're pouring, I'll start talking about what they are pouring. Uh, what this is, the Whistlepig 15 year. Um, this is uh, Wine Enthusiast's highest rated rye whiskey uh, they've ever put out. It got a 97 points. Um, and this 15 year was really the beginning of Dave's big vision. So as I said, we have a still and we have stuff on the farm, but that uh, you know, has been a recent development. You know, as if you're a whiskey company starting, and this is why Dave loved consulting, you know, you don't just wake up one day and say, I'm gonna have a whiskey company. You know, if you wanna put a bourbon out, you wanna put something out, you gotta wait at least four years, you know, minimum. So what Dave's kind of big vision was eventually was a full estate rye. 
He wanted to do something where he controlled the rye, the water, the barrel, everything. And this was the beginning of that vision. So what he was thinking about is, um, in terms of this whiskey, he was tasting barrels, and as he let you know some of his side projects get older, he wanted to understand like they tasted great, they were still on the whistle plague favor profile, but he wanted to do something that was special to really like make them stand out, make it different, make it you know a Dave Pickerel whiskey. So up in Vermont, it gets very cold, um, shockingly, um, and so our farm we have a forest kind of around the edge, and so. As you may or may not know, almost all whiskeys uh, are made from oak barrels, white oak barrels to be exact. Most companies they're, um, don't really cooper their own barrels. They get them sourced from a cooperage company. Uh, in fact, only one American whiskey maker even makes their barrels anymore. Um, that's the Brown Foreman Company. But other than that, everybody else has independent stave company generally make their barrels. So what Dave's idea was is Let's take this whiskey we've been aging and take our trees from our farm and send them to Independent Stave Company and have some barrels made. In theory, it was a great idea, uh, and it did end up working out for us. The problem became uh, most barrels are Missouri or Indiana white oak. And if you know anything about trees, a year is called a growth, and they have rings in those growth. Uh, traditional uh, growth patterns, about 14 rings per year. Uh, ours are 24. So Vermont oak is much hardier, it's much denser, it has to survive in that cold climate. So we sent all these trees to Independent Stave Company and they were not happy with us because those barrels were a lot harder to make because the whiskey was, or the, the wood was not as pliable. So um, just jumping into nerdy whiskey stuff since it is Whiskey Society, about 70% of any whiskey or anything that goes into a bottle is the aging process. You know, in essence, what whiskey is, it's a liquor that's been infused with wood. Um, and so, you know, you could all, we could all start with the same mash bill, but if you put a barrel in a different place around town, all those whiskeys are gonna taste different. Just because every stave of that barrel comes from a different tree. And think how different every tree grows. You know, that'd be like all of us standing in a circle and then influencing something. You know, it's gonna get a lot of different things happening to it. So Dave really wanted this Vermont oak to shine through. It being denser and hardier, took us longer to kind of get that flavor profile we wanted. Um, the, the, the barrels and the, the density of the wood, I hearken almost to the quality of a French limousine oak which a lot of cognacs and other things that are finished in. And that gives this whiskey for me a little more delicate vibe, a little more florality, a little more of that cognac-y high-end thing because it did, did take so much more effort for the whiskey to go in and out of the pores of the wood. Um, think of a barrel like a lung, it breathes. So in the summer, the whiskey you know fills up the pores of the lung, and then in the winter, it kind of drains back out. And as that happens, the longer you do it, the more influence you get from the wood. Um, and this you know is a double terroir whiskey. So we cut it with water from our well on the farm, and we use the trees from our uh, uh, farm as well. And just for sustainability, every tree we cut down, we plant three more. So. Anybody that's a big tree fan, the word I'm a huge tree of. fan. I come from Oregon. I was born yeah. hugging trees. All right. Yep. <laughs> so stick your nose in this glass, guys. Breathe in gently through your mouth. What are you getting on the nose of this whiskey? Please share your opinion. Raisin. Mm, okay, yep. that's a cognac kind of. I get raisin sometimes when I smell brandies and cognacs for sure. Caramel. Caramel. What are you guys getting back there? 
Yeah, I definitely get some plantain, banana for sure. There's definitely a tropical kind of nature to this whiskey. Um, almost maybe, like a yeah. young pineapple. Or like maybe a star fruit. Ooh, Ooh yeah. Getting star fruity. Yeah, this is definitely one of those ones kind of like a cognac when you sip it. Um, I did like an experiment. Like any whiskey will kind of milkify, as I call it, if you leave it out too long. But this one definitely with all the subtleties of it, as you sit there, you could just keep smelling it. it it'll... It's like a trailer for a movie. You're going to keep seeing different things and get excited about it in different ways. Well, let's do another toast to Dave and to yes. Dave's family, friends to of Dave. Dave. To Dave's family. Cheers to, to you guys. To the industry. Cheers, brother. Stephanie, thank you. So when Dave passed, uh, Shelly Buck, who was the previous brand yes. ambassador for Sapiga, now she's gone back to... She came from the music industry. And yep. She's gone back to music, which yeah. just shows the power of Dave. I think, like, yep. Dave not being with us, she's like, I'm out. I'm no, like she, she, she and Dave really connected over music. So Dave's passing, she kind of saw it as that sign to go back to music. And we championed her, and we wish her the best. But Shelly brought in this, which is going to be here at Seven Grand, our Seven Grand's uh, Dave Pickerel Infinity Batch. Yep. So we pour out... When we're pouring here in the bar jackalope, when we pour out some whiskey that Dave had a hand in making, we pour a little dram into this bottle as well. So there'll be um, a big, beautiful Dave Pickerel yep. Infinity Part blend in end. here that'll be <laughs> for special occasions. Yep. And maybe if we fill it up, we'll do a whiskey sidey and um, pour some out. And have everybody at come a late, that night. At yeah. a later date, right? So to answer your question, this one we're drinking right now, just, this is also from Alberta, Canada. Um, we age it in ex-bourbon barrels for 12 years, finished the last three in our Vermont oak, um, and then it's 92 proof. Since he brought out the Infinity Bottle, the kind of inspiration behind that, there's only two in all of LA. One's here in Seven Grand, representing this side of the hill. The other will be at Barrel and Ashes if you end up in that side. Um, but at Dave's funeral, since so many brands were affected by him, the owner of Angel's Envy, the owner of Hill Rock, us, everybody came and they made an actual Dave Infinity Barrel. So all those brands came and poured a bottle out in his honor. So what we wanted to do as a company, since you know Dave was our, our papa bear, our papa pig, if you're the boss hog, uh, he, um, we wanted to have those Infinity Bottles all over in his honor because you know he was so important to the industry. So, Right on. What do you guys think of this beautiful, beautiful whiskey here, the Boss Hog 5? Oh, we're oh, not there yet. That's oh, that's not it? Woo! Oh, that's the oh. 15. Oh, this is the 15. This is the 15. Oh, okay. So this is the instant. <laughs> okay, so this is really cool. And what I've heard rumor of is that there's an 18 out there. Last time Possibly. Dave was here, he had a little secret bottle in yeah. his pocket, and it was of the not Boss Hog, but it was going to be the Whistle Pig 18. Mm -hmm. Which so Dave was buying these barrels, and the thing is about uh, American whiskeys, they can take on too much oak. So sometimes you have to know when to say when, mm -hmm. and that means tank them. Put them in a stainless steel tank or a glass tank and just let it rest. Like get it out of the barrel because you could actually over oak it and have it be something bitter and a monstrosity. But like Dave was really smart. Yep. He bought all this whiskey from up in Canada and it was aging it and then he's put the brakes on it. Yep. So, so they've been have, they had the secret tank at Whistlepig of this whiskey that no one was allowed to touch. And For and now time. and now yeah, so um, we, we have our Boss Hog series, which is, you know, kind of Dave's baby. Um, but yeah, keep your eye out. 
I can't tell you when, I don't know. Uh, I did get to taste Dave's little secret flask bottle and it is delicious, but we will have an 18 year possibly. If not, then it's the thing of legend that Dave had in his pocket for a long time. But wow. this is the 15 year. This oh, is definitely gorgeous. our highest one on the market. As you said, a lot of whiskey aging, you know, it can, there is that fine line of where and how much is too much, you know. The beauty is since we're aging a lot of our whiskey in Vermont, the climate is not exactly like Scotland, but it's closer than Kentucky is. So Kentucky gets a lot hotter than Vermont does. So it has a different influence on like a bourbon or something like that. So for us up there in Vermont, we can, age a little longer and rye as you've kind of talked about interacts with the barrel in a different way due to enzymes and all that kind of sciencey things that i'm not good at i'm good at the stories uh but it definitely allows rye to be aged for longer um and most as you kind of learned tonight we're really only a 10 year old company so we're definitely on the path to something exciting and bigger and higher. And, you know, Dave was always pushing and experimenting and finding out what could be the limit of what we can do, but he would never put out anything that he wasn't happy with. But from what I hear through the grapevine in 18 years, probably in the pipeline. Wow. Um, so what a cool thing. as we sip on that, your welcome cocktail you had actually featured what we call the farm stock. Um, we don't have any right now. It's just about to get back in stock. But the farm stock is Dave's vision for where the company has been and where we're going. So um, about three years ago, we installed our own still. Uh, the still is named Mortimer. Um, and a little background on that is we had two celebrity pigs when the company was founded because um, we didn't know what a whistle pig was. So we just decided to get pigs. It's a groundhog. It is a groundhog. It's a groundhog in well, Kentucky. We, we Googled it and we it's figured on, out. They're great whistle pig YouTube videos with these, like somebody in Kentucky with like, they've got, <laughs> they're going through the bushes and all of a sudden this little groundhog pops up and he's like, <whistles> they like whistle they to each yip, other. Yeah. Uh, but we didn't know that because we're in Vermont, so we just adopted some pigs, <laughs> and we had uh, two of them. Uh, totally different species. Yeah. Those pigs don't know how to whistle. Not at all. They're extremely uh, intelligent, but they cannot whistle. <laughs> and so we had Mortimer, and then we had Mauve. Uh, they ended up falling in love, um, and they were kind of our two celebrities. So when we went to the James Beard Awards, they came with us. Um, they were, you know, all over our social media. And uh, at one point, uh, we also raised this other breed of pig from Australia that almost looked like boars. They were hairy and they were aggressive. Um, and we're amazing at like making whiskey and finishing and blending. Uh, we're terrible farmers. Uh, we will gladly admit that. We're getting better though. Um, and so one of these Australian pigs, they're kind of known as the Wagyu of pig. Like they're very marbled and they're good. And what we used to do when the company was first starting, if you had a bar up in like uh, the North uh, East, um, we would do a pig roast for you and we would give you one of our pigs. Um, and so they lived in their own enclosure because they were very aggressive. Um, and then Mortimer and Mauve lived in their own. And then one of these pigs, this, I'm, I kid you not, it was like a 800 to 1,000 pound pig, like it was a big dude, um, was like coming out, uh, maybe it was 500 pounds, don't quote me on the weight, it was a big pig, um, tall tails. And 800 as, pounds, that's all right. That's a, yeah. all right. Don't quote me on maybe it. Maybe 300, yeah, 400. 300, 400. It was a big pig. 
And so it was cut, it got out of its enclosure and went to go atta- it started attacking Mauve. And Mauve had just given birth to a, a piglet named Mortimer Jr. So Mortimer, being the gentleman he was and also in love, threw himself in front of Mauve. And we heard the commotion because it was not a quiet thing that was happening. And we ran up and we, we got the Mortimer, Mortimer Jr. and Mauve out of there. But sadly, Mortimer died. Um, rest in peace. Uh, we did kill that pig. We cut his head off and we stuffed it and we put it in the distillery to remind people not to mess with our brand. Um, but then Mortimer kind of became our guiding light. So we named our still Mortimer after him. And then all of the boss hogs up until this year had Mortimer in some way on the topper. Um, this past year in February, uh, I was told February 14th. I don't know if I believe it. But uh, February 14th, uh, Moth passed away of a broken heart. Um, oh, oh. So this she, is like getting so pig romantic. I know, right? right? This, this, is, is like, this is like a pig saga is, for us. Yeah, right? This is like um, a paperback bestial edition or yep, something. Yep, like yep. Romance for <laughs> romance on the farm and, and romance yep. specifically in the barn. Yep. And so we actually built a mobilisk on the farm. Ah. And we have mobs and Mortimer's ashes, and they overlook the distillery, and it's very nice. Um, And Mortimer Jr. is coming to his own. He's doing great. We're trying to find him uh, a lady, but him being the bachelor he's been perennially, it's been tough. Um, But this year's Boss Hog, which we're about to taste, is called the Spirit of Mauve. So just the quick story of this whiskey and the Boss Hog in general. Um, So the Boss Hog, uh, Dave's kind of... Oh, early in our company, Dave was, you know, each barrel so unique, just like every person. Uh, Dave tasted some barrels and said, oh, these are special. I don't want to blend these and turn them into 10-year. So he did a special double X release of the Whistle Pig, um, and that kind of put an idea in his head. And then that kind of turned into the Boss Hog 1, which we called Spice Dancer. And that Boss Hog 1 was a basically group of 11 to 12-year-old barrels. This had a real unique flavor profile that Dave just thought really stood out. And so Dave's idea for the Boss Hog series after that became uh, kind of a guiding light of like about four to five things. One was that it was always going to be cast strength. So we weren't going to cut it. We weren't going to dilute it. It was always going to be right from the barrel. It was always going to be a single barrel whiskey. So each barrel, uh, bottle of Boss Hog, as you walks around, has what barrel it is. Well, I think you guys are tasting barrel number 61 tonight. Um, it'll always be something that Whistle Pig has never done before. So each Boss Hog has been a finish or a group of barrels um, that um, you know we've never attempted. It's kind of been this experiment. Um, and then it's always going to be extraordinary. Is this kind of thing. He was never going to put out a Boss Hog just to put one out. Um, you know, the difference like Boss Hog 2 to 3, there was a year in between because Dave didn't have anything that really stood out to him. So we're, this is Boss Hog number 5. Uh, Boss Hog 1 was called Spice Dancer. It was a group of kind of very spicy, funky barrels. Uh, Boss Hog 2 was the Spirit of Mortimer, which was a group of barrels that Dave felt really encapsulated the spirit of Mortimer on the year of his death. Uh, Boss Hog 3 uh, was called the Independent, which is my personal favorite, honestly, of all of them. And that's finishing hogshead barrels. Uh, which are kind of large um, types of wood that you use to finish scotch. So it gives that one a really big, bold, spicy finish. Um, the last one, Boss Hog 4, was the Black Prince, which many of you may or may not have known, and that was part of the last time Dave was here. He did the whole costume change into the Black Prince. That was finishing ex Armagnac barrels, and that won Best Whiskey in the World in San Francisco uh, the year it came out. We are very proud of that, so was Dave. 
he beat the Scotch at their game one year. Yes. Um, and then this one here is in honor of Mauve, and Mauve loved apples, so we finished this in Calvados barrels. Um, so if you had Black Prince or you've had any other um, Boss Hogs before, this one's definitely going to be a big, bold, cast-strength rye whiskey, everything we believe in, but it's going to have notes and flavor profiles we've never really played with before. Um, so I'll let you all nose it. She's going to come around with one oh, for you just a second. I'm, I'm still waiting. Well, she's still pouring. I'll let you guys kind of nose and think about it, and I'll jump back in time a quick second. So we have our still named Mortimer uh, at the farm. Uh, which is in the old dairy barn that we fixed up. And we've been growing rye and trying to get better at it. So about three years ago, we did our first harvest of rye. We milled it, we distilled it, and then we then uh, put it in barrels and we've been aging it. And so the farm stock, which you had in the welcome cocktail, is kind of the ongoing vision of the company. So it's where we've been and where we're going. So the farm stock is a blended whiskey on the back of every farm stock bottle, thank you. Um, there's a thumbprint of one of the people from the farm that helped actually make that whiskey. And then it also tells you the blend. Each year is gonna be different. So this coming up year, we're gonna be releasing farm stock three, um, which will have three-year-old whistle pig whiskey in it. And then a little bit of the MGP whiskey from the 12 year, uh, not finished in any of those finishes, just the actual mash bill and some of the Alberta, Canada, 100% rye. So it's kind of where we've been and where we're going. And then eventually the goal for farm stock is to be 100% our whiskey. Uh, I can't tell you when that's gonna happen. All I can tell you is each year the blend's gonna get bigger. I think the first year farm stock was 20% our whiskey. Last year was high 30s. This next stock I hear through the grapevine I don't have full details yet, is gonna be probably in the 40 to 50 range. And each year, it's really kind of, it's a fun collectible item that won't break the bank um, because it's around the same price as the farm, the Whistle Big 10 year. But each year, the vintages are different. So if you buy one, you put it in a storage locker in the cabinet, and you come back to it five years later, and you have one for every year, you can taste how our whiskey has grown and changed. Uh, through the wing and that's kind of our farm stock and um, as we now have our whiskey I'll just kind of put a button on it and those are those are the whiskeys we make we do the 10 the 12 the 15 the farm stock and the boss hog we make rye whiskey we make five whiskeys and we do the best we can with it so well, um, I, I would like to say that you know Dave as being uh, someone who's kind of the guardian spirit of American whiskey and and also the founding father of craft distilling in America he passed way too soon oh um, and far too he, soon. he Passed, he had a, a heart attack, yep. massive heart yep. attack. And so I would just like to say, um, you know, let's think about wellness. I know that myself in the whiskey business, I, I drink plenty and I, my girlfriend's always on me about like, you need to be more healthy. And like, <laughs> it's absolutely true. And we enjoy the whiskey society. We like to educate ourselves about whiskey, but I would also like to impart like, part of drinking more intelligently is to be more healthy and balanced in the way that you drink. So I would encourage this toast to be about wellness. Yes. So I would say to your health. Yes. And one of the ways that we can remember Dave, perhaps the most productive way is to drink more healthily. So yes. to you, to your health. Thank you, Thank you guys for coming out tonight. Uh, all of, so as a company, we love craftsmanship. Dave, obviously being, you know, the, uh, there it is, the champion of 
craft distilling and the craft movement and craft bartending. I mean, Dave really championed, uh, especially coming from that Midwest background, just people getting their hands dirty and doing some work. So as a company, we're always trying to support local businesses around us in Vermont and local businesses in general. So all of the toppers for the Boss Hogs are all different. This year we see Mauve with her uh, Cupid arrows going into heaven. Um, the older ones, we had the Black Prince, which had Mortimer with a sword. The Independent has Mortimer with a cannon. Um, the Spirit of Mortimer was Mortimer with some Lees. Um, and all of these are made from Danforth Pewter Company, uh, which is out of Vermont. It's the oldest pewter company in the country. Uh, and we... Pewter. pewter. Yeah. yeah, so we we, kind of metal. we spend the money to have them make these toppers. If you guys want to feel it, it's you know not a light one. It's definitely like actual metal. Uh, we want to like actually support the craft around it. All of our used barrels um, that we use, we've done coffee finished them. Um, we have a maple syrup that sometimes shows up on our website for sale. Other times they're at bars around town. I have some at my house. Yeah, and we so we actually being a firm of Vermont have. Uh, maple trees and we take our own maple syrup process it and finish it in rye barrels um, so if you're at a bar and you see a bottle it's the best maple syrup you'll ever have um, we didn't get to talk about this though you guys give me a flavor note on yes. this boss hog five yes. the barrel number 61 blow through. cinnamon clove yep. what else vanilla terrible is that what you said <laughs> caramel alright caramel not terrible Definitely not terrible. No. What'd you say? Mole. Mole. Beautiful. <laughs> That's great. That's great. I like that. I love that. Mick, what are you getting, buddy? A brown ale. Yeah, there's a lot of toasted notes in this for sure. Cocoa Krispies. Cocoa Krispies. Well, cheers to that. You guys, let's give it up to Mr. Blaine Adams from Whistle Pig for coming out tonight. Blaine. Please tell me I got your name right. Usually I always yes. check in with the guest and be like, oh, yeah. how do I pronounce your game? Nope, you uh, your it. name, I want to get it right and everything. <laughs> well, we got so into talking oh, yeah. about Dave, I didn't even ask you. And then we got up here and I'm like, I hope it's Adams. I really 100%. hope it's Adams. You I got it. it. Yeah, no, every all time right, I tell right. me, it's like an airplane with a bee. Just playing out. <laughs> right on. Thank you guys for yes, coming thank out. Thank you all for, for coming out. Have a great night. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you like what you heard, please head over to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating and review. The Spirit Guide Society is a Spirit Adventures production in association with Bitten from the Apple Productions. Special thanks to Tone Mesa for their post-production and audio services. The show is produced by Andrew Apple and me, Pedro Shanahan. Executive producer, Andrew Abrahamson. Be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Spirit Guide SOC. We'll be there to answer any questions you have, share what we're drinking, and more. And if you're still thirsty, you can always find more episodes of the show wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to always drink responsibly. That means don't drink to forget, drink to remember.